listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. Ushers are also coming forward. They have Bibles and and, um, pens handy. If you would like a Bible, we would love for you to take one. If you do do not have one, borrow it today. If you don't have one at home, we'd love for you to take that as our gift to you because we believe there's power in the Word of God. Nothing can change a life But Jesus, and where do we find Jesus? We find him throughout the word of God. He is the living word. And so encourage you, Luke chapter 22, we'll be looking at that in just a couple of moments. But before we look at that, encourage you to also have pen, uh, a pen in hand, use your connection card. There's room for sermon notes there. Many of you are using a journal, which is great that you just continue to to, um, keep adding to your notes in there and and looking at it, studying it, using it, uh, what you're hearing today for the small group discussions that will be taking taking place this week, and uh, so encourage you to be writing down some things. And here's one verse that before we look at Luke 22, I'd love for you to, to look up or to look at, and you'll actually see this on the screen, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. What a great verse. What a powerful verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. The Amplified Version says, whose hearts are completely his. That the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts that are committed, hearts that are are all in. And and, and, and we see this promise that is in, in the word of God, that God looks to come along and strongly support and bless and empower our lives. This is a promise. This is something that he desires to do. Now remember this verse, we're going to refer to it towards the end of our message today, but remember the eyes of the Lord. He's he's looking, he's looking to and fro. If he's looking throughout, if if, if his eyes are ranging the earth right now, he's ranging in here, he's looking here. He's looking for eyes, he's looking for hearts that are looking to him. And he's looking to empower and bless and, and to do a great work in, and that means you. And so... We'll look at that in a couple of moments. Today we're starting a little mini-series as we lead up to Easter from the Gospel of Luke that will take us into the Easter season. And and we're going to look at some of the events of the final days or hours of Jesus' life before the cross. And I pray that as we look at the Word of God and and even as we get closer to Easter, the the Bible reading plan for for the the month of April continues on. Encourage you to grab one of those bookmarks or download it from the e-news that was sent out this week. And and the week before... um, the Easter week, we, we have uh, the readings from, from uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the last week in the life of Jesus. Encourage you to be doing that. And I pray that as we look at the Word of God and as we head into this Easter season, that, that God would speak to us through His Word, that we would be gripped again and again by the sorrow and the love that flowed from our King to us, from our king to unworthy people like you and me. And in Luke chapter 22, we see the eyes of Jesus. We see the eyes of Jesus looking at one of his disciples. And and this story that we're going to look at today is recorded in all four gospels, which has a significant reminder to us that if it's in all four gospels, this is a significant event and we should pay attention to it. And so we're going to read Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 44, 54, and you can follow along in your Bibles. And it says, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down 
among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also, you also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Here's a statement. I encourage you to write this down. It will be the banner across the screen here this morning. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. Write it down. I encourage you to, and, and, and maybe even to have this memorized, and it will be very helpful in your small group discussion. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. Well, what happened to Peter here? And what can happen to me? Contained in this statement here this morning is great warning, but great hope. There's warning in that statement, but also there is great hope. You see, Peter's story is our story. We know, each one of us, if you've been walking with Christ for any period of time, <laughs> hours, days even, we know what it is to stumble and fall into temptation and, to, and in sin, or be filled with, with a self-confidence and a self-reliance, thinking, I've got this, I've got this figured out. I have the tiger. I'm good. I've got this. I've got a handle of, of, of this whole um, following God and following Jesus thing in my life. And, and then all of a sudden to find ourselves flat on our back, figuratively or literally even, possibly finding ourselves somewhere where we thought we would never, ever end up. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. Let's take a look at Peter. Peter was one of the 12 chosen apostles, disciples of Jesus. He was part of then the inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John, that were particularly close to Jesus. And of the three, Peter was considered even the foremost. He was like the right-hand guy in so many ways to Jesus. And, and, and when it comes to even mentioning of the disciples in the Gospels, this is kind of an interesting statistic. I didn't figure this out. Someone else did that I read this past week. That Peter is mentioned in the Gospels. He's referenced 85 percent of the time when it comes to discipleship, uh, when, it talks to the, when it comes to referencing the disciples and their activities and their words. 10% are, are to James and to John. Uh, they're referred to 10% of the time and 5% to the other disciples. And so Peter was a main guy. He was a big deal. I mean, he was a type A personality. He was a get in there, make it happen kind of thing. He was a real spitfire, real leader. I mean, you just kind of trace through his life, and you'll be doing that this next week in some of your assignments, is, is just to look at the life of Peter and just see how he got in there. He made things happen. He was the one that was willing to jump out of the boat when the others were, Hoo! you know, he was like, hey, I'm going. I'm going to walk on water, and, and I'm going to run to meet Jesus. Amazing story. He was get in there. Let's make it happen. And yet, despite his calling, his words, his actions, his accomplishments, he ends up denying the very one that he said he would never deny. And he didn't do it just once. He did it twice. He did it three times in just the span of a few hours. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. And first of all, this morning, I'd like to see the descent into denial. 
How did this happen? How did Peter get to this point where the rooster crows and he's weeping bitterly, broken over what is taking place? How did it happen? How did this happen? 24 verses. 24 verses take place here in, in, in Luke chapter 22 where he goes to say, I'm in death, prison, doesn't matter. Let's go. I'm here for you. 24 verses later, denying that he is is associated, that he knows Jesus, that he's not one of them. How does this happen? The descent into denial. Well, in, uh, in Mark's account, we see that, that even when it came to denying Christ, he, he said it so emphatically, and, and, and throughout all of it, we see that, that it came with a lot of, um, with strong words that, of his denial of Christ. And, and so how does the descent into denial happen? First of all, by following Jesus. By following Jesus from a distance. He was following Jesus all right. Verse 54, it says, that they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Pretty easy point. How did he fall into denial? He was following Jesus, but it was from a distance. You say, well, hey, hey at, least, at, at least he was there. I mean, most of the other disciples, they hightailed it out of there. Now, John's account shows us something a little bit different, that there was another uh, disciple that was there quite possibly um, with them, but with Jesus, but not particularly there with Peter. Peter was following Jesus, but it was from a distance. The other disciples were, were nowhere to be found. And the word following is the word that, that we use and that we, what we are supposed to do. We are to follow Christ. We just finished a sermon series that, that for 10 weeks we, we, we talked about I follow Christ. And, and we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Peter had followed Jesus. He had followed him faithfully for over three years. And he's not stopping now. He's still following. Notice he's still there. But that verb for following is qualified by an adverb that tells us at a distance. He was following Jesus from afar. You see, Jesus then and Jesus now is never to be followed from a distance. Distance is dangerous. Encourage you to write that down. Distance is dangerous. Sadly, this happens. It's happened in my life and it's probably happened in your life or maybe it's even happening now. You're following Jesus, but it's from a distance. This happens when we kind of get distracted by various things. There's a distance between Jesus and my relationship with him. And whenever there's that distance, it's not good. Disappointments can bring distance. Distractions, hurts, confusion, betrayal. We just back off a little bit. We can even make it sound noble, you know, and, and have some good reasons or good, good excuses why we're kind of taking a step back. We start neglecting time in the word of God. We neglect our God time. We start missing church, our gather time. Sometimes the reasons seem good or good excuses, or at least we can put a good spin on it. We're, we're skipping small group, our gather time, our group time with others. And, 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 and we start to distance ourselves from other brothers and sisters, and distance is dangerous. And notice, he was there with a the crowd that he should not have been standing with. He was isolated from other disciples. We should not be isolated from one another. We need other Believers in our lives, distance is dangerous. And then second of all, we see here by sitting with the wrong crowd. Verse 55, the last part of it says, Peter sat down among them. He associated with the wrong crowd of people. What crowd do you associate with? Are they people that are having a good influence 
for Christ in your life. Oh, we should have influences and we should have associations with people who aren't believers. Definitely. But who are we being influenced by? Are we influencing them or are they influencing us? Remember Psalm chapter 1? I encourage you to read that. You see the progression there. In verse 1, it goes in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see, it's a walking into the wrong crowd, which ends up standing with the wrong crowd, which ends up being seating, sitting ourselves with the wrong crowd of people, with scoffers, it ends up saying. And to sit means to associate identifying with them, thinking that's not a big deal. It's just a few drinks after work. It's a few drinks after the meeting. Who's influencing who? Getting together for a crafting, uh, get together or something like that, or just over a coffee. But again, who's influencing who? You know who those influences are in your life and what kind of effect that they're having. And, and if you're not having an influence, if you're being influenced by people who are taking you away that are causing distance between you and God, you need, to, need a time out. You need to stop. And you need to have, be surrounded by brothers and sisters who can, can, can hold you accountable, that can walk with you and point you to Jesus and encourage you in that. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have unsaved people who are friends, but we need to make sure that, that the influencing is happening for the sake of Jesus in our lives and we aren't being influenced by others. When we make choices to follow Christ from a distance, which means isolating ourselves from, from other believers, from a lack of accountability in our lives, if we're, it, it, from deepening relationships with other people, the choice is inevitable that we will fall. And we will stumble, we will fall just like Peter. Listen up, folks. If you are further away from Christ, and you can even do this own check in your own heart even here today, if you are further away from Christ, if there's a growing distance between your personal relationship with him, your commitment in your marriage, your family, your commitment and sacrifice to the church, if, if, if there's a growing distance between where you are today and where you were three months ago or a year ago, watch out. You are setting your sail for disaster. And we need to take stock of these kind of things because distance is dangerous. And it was for Peter, and it can be for us as well. He said, don't worry, I, it's, it won't influence me. I can handle it. I can do what I want. I'm strong. I have the power of Jesus. I won't be influenced. 1 Corinthians 10.12, write this down. 1 Corinthians 10.12. Therefore, if anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. If you think I've got this figured out and I can handle this and I can go and take on the world and, 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 and take on others in, in a way that doesn't have any dependency upon the Lord and you're going in your own power and strength, watch out, take heed as you'll fall. The stronger you are, listen to this, the stronger you are, the more aware you are of your own weakness. When I am weak, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 Write that down, encourage you to. Look it up this week, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, when we are able to recognize our dependency upon the Lord and our need for others in our life, and we say, because I'm weak, because I can stumble, I can fall, there's a dangerous distance. That's a sign of strength when we can admit that and we have others. You see, no one falls in just a few hours. Peter's fall didn't happen in, tw in, in 24 verses. Basically, they figure there's probably two to three hours from that time where he said, no, I will not deny you to denying Christ. Happened just in a short period of time, 24 verses. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow fade. David did not fall into the sin of adultery 
overnight. They just didn't happen. He saw a gorgeous woman on, uh, uh, taking a bath one day and think, oh, I'm going to have her as my wife. He was setting himself up for that because he, there was a distance in, in his walk with God and he was doing things he should not have been doing. Peter's descent into denial didn't happen just in, in those few hours. It just didn't happen because he was under extreme pressure. The pressure exposed the cracks that were already in his life. Things that were in his heart that needed to be dealt with. And the pressure exposed these areas in Peter's life that, that he had never dealt with before this. And this was a guy who had been with Jesus for three years. He was doing all the right stuff. He was in the right crowd. And yet there was still a part of his heart that needed to be surrendered. There was, there was still cracks that were going to cause destruction in his life when the pressure hit. And when the pressure hit, it cracked wide open. Remember, if it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. Here's some, some of the other ways that Peter, his descent into de denial took place. First of all, we see in his life pride, a preoccupation with himself. In verse 24, just in, in chapter 22, a little bit ahead there, it says, a dispute arose among them as to which one was the greatest. No doubt he was front and center in that little argument. Here is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. None of them were willing to humble themselves and lower themselves to wash the feet of, of one another, but Jesus did. And what are they doing when Jesus is doing this? They're fighting. They're having this argument over who's first and best. There was this ongoing rivalry with the disciples. And, and here, I mean, on this most important night is that pressure is being amped up and the heat is on. It shows its ugly head once again. Peter needed to be first. He needed to be right. And, and he probably won that argument. He could just on the basis of his resume. He's got this figured out. He's got this together. And how did he win it on the basis of his resume more than likely? is because right away after that, Jesus started communicating with him. So he's probably, well, I kind of put them under the dust. And then Jesus starts in on Peter. You know what? The need to be first and right and best, and trumping others, it happens so naturally, doesn't it? This morning it was so cute. Some young guys who were helping with uh, putting the signs out, and then there was some, some Timbits that were up for grabs. Amazing how young boys want to be first and best and get those, even calling shotgun in the vehicle. You know, like we want first and best, right? And, 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 and needing to be right, needing our way. And that just continues throughout our lives, right? Being first and best. Don't want to appear weak. And what really this exposes in all of this is a covetous heart. Not being satisfied with where we're at. Always wanting something more. If only I had this. If only I looked like this, only if I had this money, only if I could do this, then I would be something. And, 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 and we're not satisfied. We're looking for, for fulfillment, and it's a driving obsession. And the world values this. The world says, this is the way to go. This is the kind of life you are to live. And this even can happen in Christian circles. First and best. Look at how successful. Look at how wonderful. Look at how great your business is. What a mind. First and best, and we want to appear that way. A preoccupation with ourself, with our image, with, with what people think of us, a covetous heart. All of these things are dangerous. It can lead us into the descent into denial. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. 
You say, well, I have my certain limits, but then those limits, as far as what you'll say, you'll, as far as you'll go, start to get compromised when the pressure gets turned, turned up higher and higher. Another thing is making empty promises. Look at in verse 33. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death with you, Jesus. He said something that he said he would, he said, I'd never deny you. And yet he makes an empty promise. Here's the danger of, of overconfidence, even in our devotion to Christ. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never get drunk. I would never lie to get ahead in business. I've got this under control. Oh, those are dangerous words. Don't make empty promises. Because I believe so solidly that the enemy hears that. And he knows that if, that if he can expose that and bring the temptation and get you to fall in those areas, kaboom, he knows. Major victory. He made empty promises. Something that in his power, his strength, he could not do. You say, well, should I not have that confidence? You know what, what would have been a way better way for Peter to say that? It would have been more along the lines of, I will never deny you, Jesus. But I need your power and your strength to be able to do that. I never want to deny you, Lord. By the grace of God, I pray that I won't. A heart of humility, not a heart of overconfidence, thinking, I've got this. I can do it. I can do it on my own. Peter boasted too much, prayed too little, acted too fast, and followed too far. And this brings us to another one, an unwillingness to pray. See this in verses 45 and 46. It was after the Passover meal, and they go out to the garden, and Jesus told his disciples to pray. He said, I'm going to go pray, and you guys need to be praying. Pray, pray, pray. And he's calling them to do this. And he's pouring his heart out to God. And what are they doing? They're falling asleep. It wasn't just that they were like, oh, okay, this is a little boring. We're just going to. No, they were sleeping because they were exhausted. We read that it was out of exhaustion that they were afraid. And it was a form of an escape that it's just like, well, let's just try to sleep this off. And maybe things will seem better in the morning or after a few hours of sleep. Sleep can be an escape, a dangerous escape. But there's also other forms of escape that we can at times fall into as well. Netflix, shopping, social media, sports, wine, certain medications, work, exercise, different things that that become a distraction and and, and keeps us from doing the most important thing. And that is, is having that reliance on God and spending time in the day, at the start of the day, throughout the day, in prayer and seeking God. We need to be strengthened with power from on high that comes through abiding in Christ, through abiding in prayer. We need these more than anything else, and yet we get so distracted. We find other things to fill that void because we're exhausted, we're confused, we're tired, we don't know what to do, and we don't turn to Christ, we turn to other things. Look how in verse 43 it says that Jesus was strengthened as he prayed. As he was pouring his heart out to his father, to his heavenly father. It it says that he was ministered and strengthened by an angel. An angel came and strengthened. And Peter and the disciples are sleeping when they could have been strengthened by the Lord, by his appointed messenger as well. Another way that we can descent into denial is not taking a stand for Christ. He had an opportunity to stand, to speak, to identify himself as a follower of Christ. Oh, it could have got him into trouble. Yep. Yeah, it probably would have. Not willing to identify, desiring to be accepted, to be liked, to be 
to have others think well of us rather than to stand for truth or to declare the truth in the word of God. There's various ways that we can deny Christ today. And, and let's just read here in verse 56, and we see it here in the life of Peter. I think it's important we read this. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and, and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval, interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Once, twice, three times. In Mark's version, in Mark 14, verse 71, it says that Peter, that third time, with such intensity, invoked a curse upon himself and said, I do not know this man. And the way that he said it, it was with a strong pronouncing curse on his own life, basically saying, if I am lying to you, may God strike me dead. That is what the intensity in which he is denying Christ. May God strike me dead if I am lying. I don't know him. When I was in college, I had a very difficult situation that I faced where I needed to confront a man in an area of sin, an older man. And, and with the help of some church leadership, I had to do this. And, and it was a very difficult, difficult situation. And as we were in a room together, he ended up saying to me, he says, I did not do that. I did not do that. And if I am lying to you, may God strike me dead. And I assumed, okay. A few months later, he dropped dead. I don't know. I don't know his heart, but God does. It is a dangerous thing what Peter did here. Do you see how far this mighty man of God had fallen in just a short period of time, but that what happened is what it exposed, an ongoing kind of miss in his heart. There were those areas, those cracks that were growing and building in his life. And look at in verse 60, it says, And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. For Peter, however, folks, this was not the end of the story. This wasn't a story, a final failure like Judas who refused to repent. This is a story of restoration. And folks, I'm here to declare to you today, if it happened to Peter, it can happen to you. Not only the denial, yes, that's true, but the restoration. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are at today in your own life, in your walk with God, or maybe you don't even know God yet, the way that Peter was restored and his life was set back on the path and he was used by God in a mighty way, if it happened to Peter, it can happen to you. Does anyone can say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. For Peter, this wasn't the end. The distance, the spiraling out of control in his life. Peter was a changed man. And how did that happen? Let's look at the road to restoration. 
Here's the positive side of this statement. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to you. Restoration is possible, possible, but it starts with a recognition of wrong. Verse 61, and it says, and Peter remembered. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter remembered. He recognized what I'm doing is wrong, what I just said was wrong, what I'm thinking is wrong, what I'm contemplating is wrong, what I'm playing with is wrong. It's recognition of wrong. It's sin. It's not building a barricade around your behavior. We're so good at that, aren't we? We build this barricade, you know, we're, we're able to blame, we're able to excuse ourselves, we're able to rationalize. Instead, it involves remembering, repenting, taking responsibility. Like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, making restitution where needed. This is the path to restoration. Second of all, we see a genuine grief over my sin. The road to restoration continues with a genuine grief over my sin. Verse 52 or 62, it says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. This word bitterly means it was intense. It was sharp. It was, carries the idea of pain, of severity. One commentator said Peter could not stand himself because of his sin. He couldn't stand himself. Are there times that you can't stand yourself? Say, how did I say that again? How did that happen again? What I just said, what I just did, I said I'd never do that again. And look, I'm back here right at that very place. This is more than just a, ah, I got caught, I got found out. And we start coming up with excuses. This is down on the floor saying, oh God, forgive me for what I have done. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against others. It's probably about 10 years ago, another tough thing in ministry Again, one of the tougher things that I had to do as a pastor was to go with a number of elders in our church where we were serving at the time and confront a man in his 80s who had been involved in sexual sin 50 plus years earlier. It had come to light 50 plus years earlier, but it was very clear that he truly had not repented of his sin. He was sorry that he got caught. And the spiraling effect that it had, even though he was able to say all the right things and, and, and live a certain life, his children now in their 50s were spiraling out of control with hurt, with just confusion because they saw this standard in a home that said that they served the Lord. His family was sent home from the mission field where he was serving because of this sin. And we believe solidly that, that his family could be restored in a beautiful way by him taking ownership, by him truly repenting before his family and before God. And sadly, it never ended well. It ended with him turning to his wife of 60 plus years and saying to her, they were all better than you anyways. The heart exposed. Genuine grief over my sin, calling sin, sin. And leaving it there, not excusing, not blaming, down on the floor before God repenting of my sin. I heard a, story, a statement years ago, and I'll never forget it. And it applies to lives today. Might want to write it down. I hope it will hope serve as a hopeful reminder to you. 
that water cannot rise above its source naturally. Water cannot rise above its source, but children sometimes can. And I recently heard from this, from one of the members of this family, and God is doing a restoration work. The father has since passed away, so is the mother. But God is restoring this family and doing a great work in their lives. Water cannot rise above its source, but children sometimes can. When they turn to the Lord. And some of you have had difficult upbringings. Some of you have had difficult experiences. And you think, well, I'm just going to follow in the sins of my, of my parents, of my father. It's biblical. That, it says something about that in the Bible, does it not? But we have the power and the grace and the mercy of God who restores Gives us a new hope and a new future and a new identity. We are not that sin. We are not the sins of our parents, the faults of another. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Chains can be broken, prisoners set free. And that is a hope for each one of us in the gospel. Peter's story is filled with hope because not only is he sorry for his sin, but he saw. What his sin did to Jesus. There was an immediate conviction. And a repentance that took place. And Peter had a choice. Upon realizing what he had done. Upon the conviction upon his heart. To either cower. Or to confess. Listen to this. Peter's true character was not revealed in his failure and denial. But in his repentance. When he's weak. He is strong. Which began with deep remorse led him to restoration. He was overwhelmed by his Savior's grace and love and struck by his own sin and unfaithfulness. And there Peter repented of his failure. He was surrounded by his sin, but he also was looking to his Savior. That night something died in Peter, I believe. Something died. There was a necessary death. Simon Peter, the natural man, the self-confident, prideful, me first, me best kind of guy. The love of Christ broke him. Broke through the pride and the self-reliance and thinking he could do it. And he was on the path to restoration. And the last thing that we see here in his life on the road to restoration is making it right with Jesus. Jesus was more than just a little busy in the hours that would go on. Otherwise, I'm sure there would have been time for Peter. Jesus had an unbelievable next few days, but when you read, and I encourage you to read this next week, John chapter 21, we see the beautiful restoration on the beach. Here it was a few days later. Peter is no doubt embarrassed, ashamed, thinking he's done. He's washed up. What hope is there for me now? After I've messed up so big, how could God ever use me? And what's he doing? He's taking a few of the disciples and they're just, I guess we're going back fishing. I don't know if they rented a boat, borrowed a boat, just they went out and they go fishing. But who shows up on the beach, builds a fire so he can make breakfast for his disciples? But Jesus, there is Jesus, the heart of a servant once again. Bearing the sins of the world just a few days earlier and now he's serving his disciples. What a heart. And I love it. He, he, there's a part of Peter that hasn't changed and, and would never change. And God would use that. He jumps out of the boat. He realizes it's Jesus on the boat and he jumps out of the water. Uh, cloak it all. I don't know. He's, he's just, just, you got to get to Jesus. And he gets there. He's a changed man. No longer jumping to be first and best, but he's jumping to get to Jesus. 
What an exchange that must have taken place. Now listen to this, folks. I, I was just blown away by the beauty of this. This is our God, how he redeems our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings, whatever it is. Listen to this. It was around a fire with the wrong company that Peter denies Christ. And it is around a fire with his brothers that Peter is restored. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. <laughs> this is our king. King Jesus. This is our savior. The sinful, proud, boastful, boastful, overconfident, denier, coveting mess, and failing, under pressure, follower, disciple of Jesus, thinking he's useless and washed up and has no value now. Satan wants, folks, for you to be thinking and to bring you to the point of despair so that he plunges, so that Peter or you and I would plunge ourselves into hell just like Judas did. But Jesus seeks to bring a soul to the point of despair so that we cry out for forgiveness and mercy and, and, and through repentance we find forgiveness and we gain heaven. This is true repentance. This is how we are restored. Peter would go on to lead the charge for the early church. Oh, what a guy. He would preach not under his power, his strength, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. And thousands would be saved. He would be beaten, thrown into prison, identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am a follower. Thrown into jail, beaten, whipped, busted out of prison miraculously. He would write letters that would be included in the canon of Scripture, First and Second Peter. Take and read this week First and Second Peter in light of the failure and the mess up that Peter that we, we've talked about, and now in light of the restored P Peter, it'll blow your brains. And just how this man is so changed and so, so used by God. This morning in our prayer time, I was reading from, from 1 Peter where he talks about, where he says, humble yourself. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Oh, this can happen to Peter, if it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. It can happen to you. That's the beauty of the gospel. Peter represents us here in this room. We can come to Christ with loving submission, with just giving our hearts to Christ, but with the passing of time, we can succumb to independence, to distance, to self-reliance, and a terrible distance growing. Oh, we can still be in church, but we can be far from Jesus. A growing distance between us and others. Has there been in your life, I know there has been in mine, seasons and periods in my life where self-confidence or self-reliance or distraction or bad associations or influences or a heart that gets distracted away from Jesus and it's always ended in a terrible crash for me. And today... You may hit, this may be your crash point where it's just like enough. Enough of this distance, enough of this spiraling, enough of this anxiety, enough of this sin, enough of this addiction. And you got to hit the floor like Peter in repentance. And today you're spiraling out of control with fear or sin or bitterness or an unwillingness to forgive because of something that someone has done, done to you or towards you, whether it be last week or whether it be last decade. 
Here's something so beautiful I want to show you, folks. This is so beautiful. Remember, we looked at that verse in 2 Chronicles 6, 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout this theater here today to give strong support to those whose hearts, whose heart is blameless towards him. So we have that verse, and now let's go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And when Peter, Peter's eyes met Jesus' eyes, what a moment. What a moment that would have been because here is our king. His face is bruised and battered and puffy because they've been hitting him in the face. He's been spit upon. And with swollen eyes and a spit on face, he looks at the eyes of his fallen friend. He looks him in the eyes with eyes of sadness and disappointment, yet love and mercy and grace. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. It was Jesus who called Peter years earlier, changed his name, changed his identity, changed his direction. I'm going to use you. He was there on the mountain of transfiguration. <laughs> what a scene that would have been. He's the one who jumps out of the water. It was Jesus' hands that pulled him out when he got his eyes on the waves. It was those eyes that, when Jesus and Peter's eyes met, caused him to weep bitterly with a broken heart because he saw, despite it all, the love and compassion. And he saw, in light of that, his own sin. The way down... For Peter here, though, this isn't the end of the story. God used it in a powerful way. And if it happened to Peter, it can happen to me. And today, folks, the eyes of the Lord, they're running around this room. Who can I bless? Who can I use? Who will stand today as a trophy of God's grace? Satan will try to beat you down. And some of you, he's having an awful great heyday in doing that. And you might be thinking, it's a hopeless situation. I'm washed up. Oh, I can wear the smile. I can be in church. I can do these things. But Satan will try to destroy us one way or the other. Where sin increases, though grace abounds even more. Romans 5.20. Jesus takes the situations that look hopeless. We think we've gone too far. His eyes look upon us today. Wonder today who's following Jesus from a distance. You're living in isolation, thinking, I've got this. What needs to be made right with you and Jesus this morning? You've been holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness, unkindness towards someone. Battling, failing in the area of lust or coveting or pride. Maybe it's a, a a comparison heart. Well, at least I'm not that bad. Not as bad off as that person. That person is really messed up. At least I'm... Maybe it's spiritual pride, thinking I've got this figured out. I've got a handle on this, and I'm just going to coast along. Kind of doing my thing, kind of doing the God thing a little bit. Just coast along. Maybe you have some issues between you and God that need to be settled today. I think there's some of Peter in all of us. Distance, distraction, pride, confidence. But there's a way out. And there's a road to restoration, to freedom, to those chains being broken. Let's pray together.
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give wisdom, even at this point, to know how we are to end this. Pray that today that our hearts would be drawn to you, Jesus. That we would look towards you today and we would look at the sacrifice on the cross, your great love for us. And yes, we would see our sin and we would repent. We would make things right. And whether we're spiraling out of control, knowing it's ha it happened to Peter, it's happening to me right now, may we learn from the life of Peter that this beautiful restoration is possible. We're going to close in with a song, a number of songs. And I'd love for this to be a time where you are free to come to the foot of the cross. We brought the cross down. Usually we have it up higher. And if you need to make that walk today, and I honestly believe this front should be full. I'm, this isn't emotionalism. We don't do this often, and there's a reason for that. But I believe on a day like today, there are many of us that need to find ourselves at the foot of the cross and look to Jesus. We've been running. There's a growing distance. That distance is caused because of areas where we're dabbling in or just areas we're holding on to. And like Peter, we need to run to Jesus. And Jesus will meet us there as we pour our hearts out to him. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And today you want to drive this home and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you every hour. I'm like Peter. I'm a messed up failure. But I need you. God will not deny a prayer from a heart that is seeking him in that way. He will not deny your heart today. And as he's leading you, I encourage you to come. You may want to kneel. You may want to, if you can't kneel, you may want to sit on these chairs or just come and stand at the foot of the cross in surrender.